Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Great God and Father, thank you that you're on the throne. Thankful, Lord, that you loved us, you saved us, you keep us. And Father, you brought us here together to, to worship you, to praise you, to bring honor and glory to you today. And Father, I pray as uh, we uh, bring our prayers before you here in our prayer groups and as we look to your word, Lord, guide us, direct us, teach us through your Holy Spirit that we could show more and more of you in our lives every day. Lord, strengthen our faith and help us uh, to have the strength to live for you in whatever you call us to do today and in days to come. We look forward to that day we'll be in heaven with you forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today in preparing for this, I, this lesson that we're going to look at here in, in a few minutes, the Lord had me kind of going between two lessons that I've been working on, one in the New Testament, one in the Old, and my wife will attest I was going back and forth even this morning, uh, which, which one the Lord wanted me to share. But the Lord directed me to this one in the Old Testament because I believe, and I think you'd all agree, we're in a spiritual world crisis on a spiritual level. I was reading last week in March of 2015, Christians were herded into the ocean and machine gunned down in Somali. Any of them that didn't go along with what they termed was the only religion in that country were literally machine gunned down and they were herded to the edge of the ocean, told to run into the ocean, and then they had people with machine guns sitting on a, uh, like a cliff shooting at them. And every time they'd come up for air, of course, they would get shot. We also know the people at a college in Oregon were murdered as they were asked, what is your faith, what is your religion? They said Christian. They were killed. They were shot. L.A. school district was shut down due to threats of terrorism on, on their schools. So those are a few instances of what's going on that indicate we're definitely in a spiritual world crisis a crisis is defined to determine, to decide, a critical point of determining what to do or make a critical decision. It's a juncture where we decide to go on or quit and give up. Well, on a personal level, sometimes we face crisis concerning our health, whether and when to get a second opinion when a doctor comes up with a diagnosis, or a Pinellas County Jail some of the inmates there have to decide, am I going to take a plea deal or am I going to go to court and go to trial? Crises, I don't know if that's a word or not, but they're all around us. And we need God's answers in knowing how to handle them. So today we're going to look at the life of a man named Nehemiah. He was a Persian king's cupbearer. And we're going to find three stages to reaching up in a crisis as we look at Nehemiah chapter 6. So join me in Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to look at the first nine verses. Nehemiah 6. Three stages to reaching up in a crisis. And the title of that message has come from this. So often we get horizontal on this earth. We see things here, here, here. But how often... 
All God wants us to do is look up at Him and say, God, I know you're there. You're with me. You haven't deserted me. Everybody around me says that. Everyone else is going another direction. But you said, take a stand, and with your help, I will. So we got to look up again. I reminded uh, the men on Thursday at the jail of the same thing. We get horizontal. We need to get vertical at times. We need to reach up when we get in these kind of situations. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. And we have for us here recorded. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Capernaum in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king, according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. The first stage we want to look at is that we... Before we look at we need to understand the background and the context of Nehemiah 6. Many of you know this, so it's just a review, but who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And if you, you probably all know what a cupbearer does, but it's a very important job to a king. Because the cupbearer would taste the wine and the drink and the food before the king got it. So you had to trust your cupbearer. If your cupbearer would kind of sneak around or something, give the king something that hadn't been tasted, or course, what would happen? A king would die. And so the king, whoever was the king, of course, had enemies. So the cupbearer job was very important. And I know if I was the king and I had a cupbearer come in, I'd like to see a smile on his face, wouldn't you? <laughs> he came in very depressed. I would be very concerned. So it was a very, very important job. But he was also one who obeyed God, one who was a believer. He reigned, this is a long time ago, 464 to 423 B.C. He was a contemporary, Nehemiah, of Ezra. And Queen Esther was this Persian king's stepmother. So that just kind of tells you a little bit historically where we're at. So what precedes Nehemiah 6? Well, Nehemiah as a cupbearer had friends who were back, had uh, fellow uh, 
Israelites, fellow Jews who lived back in Jerusalem, and the walls were all broken down and they were getting robbed all the time. But he didn't know that at first. He sent somebody down. They came back and it says Nehemiah in chapter 1, he wept. And he said, Lord, if there's something I can do, just lead me to what you want me to do. Give me what mission you might have for me. But he said, I want it to be in your timing. And so when the timing was right, and this is a quick review of the first five chapters of Nehemiah. When the timing was right, Nehemiah came in one day and he looked kind of discouraged. And of course, the king noticed that. He says, what's going on? And because it was God's timing, Nehemiah explained, I'm hurting for my fellow citizens back in Jerusalem because the walls are broken down and they're getting robbed all the time and they can't protect their homes. And the king said, what do you need? He said, well, God has given me a mission to go back and lead up the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And the king took off his signet ring, gave it to Nehemiah, and he said, get whatever supplies you need. That's God's timing. Nehemiah didn't rush it in his own time, but he waited for God's timing. And so Nehemiah gets there. He doesn't say, hey, I've got four plans. Let's vote on which one we're going to do. He walks around and he sees what's going on with those broken down walls. And he says, God, what do you want me to do? Give me the plan. Give me the mission you want me to do. And then he shares it. And when he shares it with the people who are living there, he doesn't say, you need to do it. He says, we will do it with God's help. But do you think he got opposition once God called him to do that mission? Absolutely. When God calls us to do something, is the world going to pat us on the back and say, nice job, I really appreciate that. We know you're doing it for the Lord. We're going to get opposition. Nehemiah did, but he didn't give up. He was a strong leader because God was leading him and had given him something here he needed to accomplish. So he gets opposition by the, headed up by a man named Sanballat. He uses ridicule, discouragement, extortion, and now the latest plot as we get to chapter 6. And here we discover the three stages of reaching up in a crisis, beginning with that first stage, verses 1 to 4. And that is the setup. And let's see what happens. Came about when it was reported as Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, that no breach remained in it. Although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together in Kepharim, in the plain of Ono. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent message to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. It's a setup. Enemies of God will always look for ways to set up God's people. Daniel, in Daniel 6.4, remember they were looking for some way to get to Daniel. It says the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Can you believe that with Daniel? They looked for something, and they couldn't find anything. 
Daniel's one of my favorite Old Testament characters because he walked with God day by day, even though he was taken as a teenager, as a prisoner of war for 70 years. They couldn't find a fault in him. Well, they were looking every way to discourage Nehemiah. Everything to stop the work of the Lord. But Nehemiah's been faithful. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem God's way. He's been ridiculed back in chapter 4. They said, whatever they build, if even the fox goes on it, he will break down their stone wall. They were mocking him, making fun of him, ridiculing him. He's been threatened with being attacked in chapter 4, verse 8. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. The enemy trying to discourage him. In 4.11, adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And then extortion, even in chapter 5, verse 3, they tried that against Nehemiah. There were many, some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So they were trying every which way to stop God's work being done through Nehemiah. The plain of Ono, that's south of Joppa. I just throw that in there. It's like saying it's down the road from Orlando. Ono is is not a place you're going to typically know, but it's south of Joppa along the seacoast, and we can associate with that. So Nehemiah sends a messenger down to answer those requests, and we see it's repeated four times. They repeat this request. But note when God gave Nehemiah the mission, he gave this godly man a sense of discernment. Because we noticed here, what does he say? End of verse 2. But they were planning to harm me. How did Nehemiah know that? God had given him insight of discernment. Do we need discernment today? Everything being thrown at us from every direction, on the media, in our neighborhoods, all the political scene, everywhere we see things going on that are anti-God. We need to know what is true and what is false. And what do we go by? What do the Bereans look at? They compared it with what the Bible teaches. Is it the same or is it opposite? So we know false from truth. Charles Swindoll, pastor in Texas, shares, Nehemiah says, no, I'm not going to go. Somewhere behind the offer and togetherness, he senses treachery. But they were planning to harm me. How did Nehemiah know this? The text doesn't say. But what is communicated is that Nehemiah possessed the crucial leadership skill of discernment. Without it, the book of Nehemiah might have ended here with a funeral in Ono. (laughs) Brothers, sisters in Christ, we need discernment. Because all around us, Satan's pulling out every plug he can to stop people, if he can, to stop them from being saved. Nehemiah's gift of discernment helped him discern the trap led by Sanballat, and just a little bit about him. He was a governor of Samaria, a Moabite, enemies who had been attacking the Jews in Jerusalem. They didn't want the walls rebuilt because they were robbing them. So they were trying everything they could to stop that being done. 
We were making our money robbing the people because they had no walls to protect them. When we are on God's mission, will the opposition ever stop? Will it? Did it stop for Jesus? Nor will it stop with us. Satan schemes and plots against believers all the time. First Peter 5.8 Be sober. Be vigilant. Be on the alert. Because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's always on the prowl to trip us up. To get us looking anywhere but up. Because when we look up, he can't... God is greater than Satan. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can hang on to that. Sometimes when we're in the rapids, that's all we can hang on to. But God says, I will never let go of you. I put you in the right hand of the Father. No one can snatch you out because I've got you. He knows our name. He hears our prayers. He gives us strength for the day. And sometimes it's hour to hour. Amen? Sometimes there's so much coming. We're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord says, hang on, I got you. I'm not going to let go of you. Look to me. Hang on to me. Second stage of reaching up in a crisis in verses 5 through 7. We read the following, and that's the rumors. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time, five times, with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king according to these reports. (laughs) And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And that will be reported to the king. According to these reports. So come now. Let us take counsel together. (laughs) That's not very encouraging, is it? Nothing else is working. So now they're going to use an open letter. Open letter. They didn't have uh, all the technology we have today. About knowing the news on the other side of the world in an hour. Here they were using a letter. And so... They want to stop him any way they can. So a relentless attack. And this open letter, John MacArthur comments, an open or unsealed letter was not only a sign of disrespect and open criticism, but suggested the information was public knowledge. The goal of this document, this open letter, was to discourage Nehemiah into stopping the work. Don't let the mission get accomplished. It's the fifth attempt to try and stop Nehemiah with the rumor. Now, Nehemiah is doing this so he can be the new king. And remember at the beginning, the king he was working under of Persia, would he look at that as a threat? If Nehemiah was now proclaimed king, he sure would. And so they're trying anything to get Nehemiah to stop and not complete the work. Do rumors infect our lives? Do they? We like rumors. And then when they're talking about us behind our back, do we say, oh Lord, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. We don't like rumors, do we? But Satan will throw out all the stops 
When God has a mission for us and has told us to do something and we're doing it, He will do everything He can, including rumors, to try to stop what we're doing. There's a lot of warnings about rumors. There's another word for it, gossip. Ever heard of that word? Rumors, gossip. 1 Timothy 5.13 says, And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Proverbs 20.19, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. And then Romans 1.29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers. Say, hey, come over here. I got this on that. Want to get back at them? Here's what you do. That's not what we're to be doing. But if we are doing something that is not popular with the world, but a mission God has given us, we're going to hear that. And Nehemiah is hearing it. Because we all know Nehemiah wasn't doing this to become king, was he? He was doing it. Why? God told him to do it. He said, I want you to be the leader to organize this group to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah is under the gun as he's striving to finish. He's almost done, just has to put the doors on. He's almost done. The mission is almost completed. And here's the last gasp, uh, last gasp opposition to try to stop him. Do we get distracted by rumors and gossip? Yes, we do. Romans 12:2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've got to stay focused. And I always remember the story of Peter when the storm was great and the disciples were on the water and they saw somebody coming toward them and they said, oh, it's a ghost. We don't know who that is. Jesus says, it's I. It is me. It's Jesus Peter says, okay, if you're really Jesus, tell me what to do. He says one word, come. And Peter got out of the boat. And as long as he had his eyes on where? On Jesus. He was fine. Walking on water. But as soon as he started to get distracted and he started looking down and around, he started to sink and then all he could do was say, help. And the Lord came over and grabbed him. He didn't drown. And they walked back to the boat. And we're sometimes hard on Peter and we say, well, he didn't have enough faith. He didn't keep walking. He looked the other way. But I always remember this. Where was Peter? He was out of the boat. He wasn't sitting there saying, hey, we better have a committee meeting on this. I don't know about this. We better take a vote. I don't know if I can step out. Jesus said, come, but I don't know if I can do that. Peter got out and he was walking on water by faith. Nehemiah had this big mission to do and he was getting toward the end, but he was keeping his eyes on Jesus even though everything was being thrown at him right and left. He continued to keep his eyes on the Lord. We're to overcome the world's influences, even the rumors. 1 John 5 verses 4 and 5 share this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen? That's the only way we can walk. That's the only way we can continue to do what God asks us to do here on this earth. Will God give us more than we can handle with Him? That's the key. Because I've had several inmates tell me, Chaplain, it's more than I can take. But I said, where are you adding with Jesus' help? Oh, I didn't remember that part. (laughs) we got to remind ourselves, it's with God's help. He will see us through anything. And then someday... If we aren't taken up into glory when, we, when the trumpet sounds and we, we die, we're just taking a step into heaven where we'll be with the Lord for how long? Ever. That helps us through some days, doesn't it? To know that we'll be with the Lord forever. What will we do there? We'll wait and find out. God will surprise us. But I know I, we're going to be in such awe of God. His holiness, to be in His presence. That will be, I think, more than we can even speak unless we're saying holy, holy, holy as we're in His presence. The third stage, reaching up in a crisis is in verses 8 and 9, and that's the response. What does Nehemiah do? Then I sent a message to him, to Sanballat, Nehemiah sent, such things as you are saying have not been done, You're inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah had been working hard. He had been obeying God each step of the way and leading the mission of rebuilding the walls. But he's tired, but he's focused. He's weary by the endless opposition, yet he's energized by God to complete it. You ever felt like that? I remember sometimes uh, in the military running the two-mile run. At the end of that two-mile run, there'd be my chaplain assistant, three or four other sergeants standing there. Come on, chaplain, you can pick it up. And so (laughs) you're hurting, you can't hardly make it, but boy, they're just... That extra revitalizing encouragement, does that make a difference? When somebody says, I'm praying for you, does that matter? When they say, I'm right here beside you, I'm going to help you with that next project, I'm going to stand with you, does that help? Do we know that? That's why God has us here together to encourage, to energize each other. That's part of what we do. And in verse 8, the servant Sanballat, he's disrespected Nehemiah. But Nehemiah calmly denies the charges. And basically what he's saying, bottom line, Sanballat, you're a liar. That's not true. Saying it in a nice way, but that's what he's saying. You're lying. Warren Worsby, former pastor Moody, shares, Christian leaders must know how to handle false accusations, vicious letters, unfounded press reports, and gossip. Otherwise, these devilish weapons will so upset them that they will lose their perspective and spend so much time defending themselves, they will neglect their work. If we take care of our character, 
we can trust God to take care of our reputation. Amen? Alan Redpath, another former pastor of Moody Church, says, If the world cannot persuade the Christian to compromise, it will begin to spread rumors about him and misrepresent his motives. So verse 8 was the response of Nehemiah to the enemy of God, Sanballat. And then we look at the last part of verse 9. I love this. Here's what Nehemiah says. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. I need an extra quantity of your strength. Your mission you've given me is almost complete. But now I need an extra boost of your strength. We ever had that in our lives? Saying, Lord, I'm just weary. I'm wore down. Lord, I, I need your strength to finish what you've called me to do. And that was his cry here. Make strong or strengthen me to finish the job, this mission God had given, this cupbearer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He prayed many times. We won't look at all these passages, but in Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11, we see him praying. In chapter 2, verse 4, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and verse 9, and in Nehemiah 5, verse 19, we see Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Do we need to be people of prayer? First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. That means we bring everything to the Lord right away. And then let the Lord lead through His Word, through other believers, through those praying for us to give us wisdom. Believe it with the Lord. Trust Him. Follow Him. God never says, You take the lead and I will follow you. The Lord says what? Follow me. And we can only follow Him by being faithful in His Word, by being faithful in gathering together as we are today for worship, for praise, to thank God. He saved us. Every day we should be thanking Him. That's for eternity. And I know sometimes myself, I tend to, I can judge people before I know them, and I know that's wrong. But we've got to remember, eternal souls are always at stake. That person we can't stand, if they continue on the road they are without God, they're going to end up in hell. Do we want that for anyone? So we've got to look at things through God's eyes, as Nehemiah is here. Strengthen my hands, Lord. You gave me a mission. Help me complete it. I'm getting worn down. God says, I'm right here. I'll help you finish it. Just lean on me. So how is our prayer life when rumors fly? Like Nehemiah's? Like Daniel's in Babylon? Like Noah before the great flood? I hope it's like our fellow believers here at Lakeside that is true of us. That our prayer life is one that, Lord, I can't make it today without you. I want to make the decision you want me to make. When you give me a task or a mission to do, I want to finish it. So that at the end, you will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've finished it. Your faith has grown. And you've learned to trust me more. Again, one thing we never learn enough of is patience. Amen? We love to wait, don't we? 
We get in the Mickey D's line and they're a little slow through that drive-through. Why that guy? Why did they order so many McChickens? I just want one. They're too slow. I don't want to wait. God says wait because while we're waiting, our faith can grow. If we got everything instantly, but we need the faith like we need it, we need to wait. God wants us to grow. The world system and its leaders, Satan, they're hostile to believers. We can expect it. We must face it with God's power when the world plots against us. Rumors will fly when we stand on God's truth, His Word. God gave Nehemiah a mission and with God's help, He accomplished it. Look a little further in Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elu, in 52 days, and it came about when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Wow. Nehemiah saw it through to the end. The mission was completed. Sanballat didn't win. Satan who was helping him didn't win. God won. He has the victory. When we are opposed, how do we defend ourselves? Calmly, like Nehemiah, as he calmly denied the rumors of verse 8 and the false charges. As he continued the mission God had given him, he looked up to God for strength. He said, I see all this going on, all this hassle, all the chaos, but I'm looking at the Lord and he will see me through. Do we reach up in a crisis? Satan says, turn to anything but God. And if we do that, we'll fail. But reaching up to God will accomplish the mission God has given us. So that someday we can hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for the life of Nehemiah, for the example, the testimony that he had in reaching up to you when things were just wearing him down. And Lord, you strengthened him. The mission was accomplished and you got the glory. You deserve it all, Lord. And may we, as we walk with you, bring honor and glory to your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing. We ask that you continue to work in each of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.